I think it's really lovely to be able to do a job where you're making stuff and you're constantly producing stuff to be that's going to be seen and be consumed and appreciated. It's such a direct line of like the processes you do throughout the day or the week or whatever culminate in like someone enjoying that dish. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are many that have dreams and aspirations of becoming a chef, of rising the ranks and getting the opportunity to express themselves on the plate and bring joy through food to people's lives. For Anna Ugarte, the journey of finding herself on the plate finds her in some of the most amazing restaurants on the planet. Anna, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. We've had you on our sibling podcast, Deep in the Weeds, and I think you're at the old Fitzroy then. Um, how have things been since then? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, I've, um, I ended up finishing up at the Fitz sometime last year, um, which was, I think it was time. But yeah, it was, it was a great experience. I loved it there. Um, and yeah, since then, I went to Europe since then and I um, didn't I've been staging I've, I did a stage over there as well um, at Le Chateaubriand in Paris I actually ended up working there I didn't stage there but I worked there for a month um, and then it, since then I've been back in Sydney just kind of working casually for friends it's been lovely oh that sounds amazing well take us to Paris I mean none of us have done much traveling in the last three years and to spend a spend a bit of time over there and working what was it like yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was amazing. I got really lucky, actually, because um, I think a lot of the laws about staging around the world have changed pretty significantly. And I initially wanted to go intern, which I've done a few times in the past, but um, it proved pretty tricky. So I ended up um, just kind of emailing a few. I've got a Spanish passport, luckily. So I emailed a few restaurants in Paris that I've, I actually only emailed two because I was like, I'm just going to go for the ones that I want um, and Inyaki from um, Le Chateaubriand replied to me almost straight away I think because my last, last name is Basque and he is also Basque so I think he felt a little bit of an affinity um, and it just so happened that one of their chefs had had to leave the country really quickly so they had an opening um, for like a month and a half so I got to just like slot right into their team there which was awesome um, and it was a beautiful season as well. It was in, I think it was September, October. So it was kind of like the shoulder season. There was like some, like all the game birds, mushrooms, all the end of summer, beginning of winter produce. It was beautiful. And they, yeah, it's just such an amazing city in terms of what you can get because they have, especially those restaurants, they have these amazing relationships with their suppliers and like, the fishermen will call them in the morning and then like the neck that tell them what they've caught and the next morning it's all there in these like beautiful wooden boxes like with seaweed all through it. Like it's just so romantic. It's very um they're very different to Sydney. <laughs> the staging thing's really interesting. It's been really the foundation for so many careers of going abroad and immersing yourself in a kitchen. What what does it what does it give you? You know, you've done it quite a few times immersing yourself in other kitchens. What what do you take from those sort of experiences? Uh, I mean, for me, I think initially I was really interested just to see because you can't it's you can't really work in every restaurant that you would want to work at, and so I kind of chose a few that were very different from the experiences that I'd had already, um, and also just kind of like the cal like it's not necessarily the caliber of restaurants. I guess maybe it is, but it's just there's so restaurants in Europe, which is the only place that I've only ever started in Europe. I like. It's quite a different ball game, I think, um, and depending on how fancy the restaurant is. But also I think for me it's just seeing how 
how diff- how people different people work because that's to me is how you learn how to work yourself as well and getting a broad range of like different contexts so you can kind of figure out what you want to do when you eventually run your own kitchen or when you come into a sous chef position or something you have a lot to bring to the table and a lot of ideas of what you think is right and or wrong as well it kind of tells yeah it's it's a it's a really great learning experience it's it's interesting that you said that you sort of only really had two restaurants that you targeted because you wanted to go there and but you're you have this knack of getting into great restaurants throughout your whole career how how does it happen how how do you make that happen you've i mean fyodor hubert noma momofuku i mean I think, well, for me, honestly, I think for a lot of it, I've just kind of followed my nose. Like I haven't, I think I've tried for, what I, I have definitely tried for places where I know I have a chance in terms of like I have a certain kind of connection there. Like at Fired or um, a chef who I'd worked for in the past had started a sous chef position there. So I could easily ask for that, like ask him the right questions. And I think it's really important to just kind of like think about what you want and then kind of see which avenue you can get like you can't always get exactly there but um I think it I think it's important to just have like a really strong vision instead of a really if you have too wide of a wide of a net of what you'd like to do it just gets way too mind-boggling I think or you could get, could get distracted or, along the way or something like that. I, I want to explore sort of uh, your career and all the various venues and influences that you've had. But take us back to when you were young. Um, you mentioned your name is Basque or your family, there's some family heritage there. What, what sort of role did food play for you growing up? I mean, look, my both sides of my family, my mum and my dad's side, um, it was their parents who immigrated to Australia. My mum's side's Dutch and my dad's side's um, Spanish. My last name is Basque, but my family lives just outside the Basque country, and they don't. Um, I guess they, they. I guess ethnically, they identify as Basque, but they're not super part of the Basque culture. But that being said, when my grandfather immigrated to Australia, he was one of the founding members of the Basque Club um, in Darlinghurst. So he was still, and also the Spanish club in the city. So he was quite involved in both of those communities. Um, but yeah, I mean, food was pretty big. My parents both. Um, Work will have worked in worked in hospitality when I was young. They had rest, they had restaurants. I was born. They had a my grandfather had a motel up in Coffs Harbour, and when he got sick just before I was born, they decided to take it over. Um, and so I lived up there with them while they were running the restaurant and motel there for a few years. And then they had restaurants in Sydney. They both worked in hospitality education after that. And my mum's still in hotels. So in terms of like food and also just like the technical aspect of running restaurants and like the ideas around hospitality was definitely spoken about around the dinner table a lot, especially when I was a lot younger when they were running restaurants. Um, And in terms of food, like we've always been such a, we've always really like food, there's been a big emphasis on food, but I wouldn't say in a specific like cultural way, like we do sometimes cook Spanish food or Dutch food, but it's more broad, I guess. Mm. Yeah. It's, it sounds like you had an unfair advantage to many coming into the industry. Well, maybe, but also I think and maybe a lot of people whose parents work in hospitality, my parents were very much against me entering into the industry because they knew how hard work it was. So I really had to convince them, I think. Um, but And I did kind of fall into it. I didn't mean to. I, I, was, I was at university studying, I think, studying to be a journalist I would have liked to. And then when I forgot my first job kind of on the way there, after having worked in front of house hospitality all through uni, I was just like kind of bored 
or like I don't know. I would just had I think I'd it already gotten the bug, and then after that, I just fell into a chefing role kind of by accident and it just kind of went from there yeah before we dive into that I just want to go back a little bit to sort of when you were young were were there any sort of pork dishes you know within the family um that you remember that you can share with us yeah I mean like a lot I think we've always I think I was vegetarian for a bit when high school as teenagers do sometimes and um I think the first meal I had I asked my mum to cook when I stopped being vegetarian was pork chops because I bloody loved them um, but yeah, lots like my dad, my, um, we, we, our Spanish family Christmas kind of roams from house to house. Um, and my dad and mum one year they did, they cooked like suckling pig in like the Weber, which was amazing. Um, what else? We did, we used to go, uh, we have family friends out near Hay and we used to go hunting for wild pigs when we went down there, which was pretty intense. They had a rice farm. So when they get it, when pigs get into the rice fields, it's not really a good situation. So we used to go shooting for those and we did eat them, eat it once, but it was pretty, pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Amazing. Well, tell us about that sort of when you got the bug for hospitality, where, where, what was the sort of really important venues early on as you started to build your career? Well, I mean, before I even was a chef, I I randomly got this job, which I think is where it started at this little like wine bar on Victoria Street called Bootleg. Um, Do you remember it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, Yeah. I worked there. I was like 19, I think, and I was working in front of house and it was, I'd worked in like cafes and some kind of very casual neighborhood restaurants before that just to like while I was at uni but that was the first time that it was like okay this is how a restaurant runs this is a section this is like these are all the things you need to do you need to make sure cutlery is polished and this is how you take orders and blah 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 and like carry plates and I think it was just like quite intoxicating being involved in just like like service as a concept really um intrigued me and having this like kind of dance where throughout the night where everything kind of falls into place people come people go people are difficult people are having a great time like and you get kind of it's quite um yeah it, as I said intoxicating yeah yeah it was was it when you sort of started to immerse yourself in the industry did it sort of bring back memories and familiarity in regards to the conversations that your parents would have with you oh yeah definitely I, and also I think when I got that job I was like mom I, I've got my RSA but I don't know how to I don't know how to serve wine and I she took me out to the backyard with to like a wine bottle filled with water and showed me how to pour a glass of wine and how yeah it was but yeah Definitely. And I think I was kind of intrigued by it when I was a kid. Like I remember when they would have dinner parties and um, me and my sister, I'd, I'd want, me and my sister would like be setting the table and getting everything ready and I'd insist on like polishing all the cutlery like I'd seen the students do at the hospitality school my parents worked out. Like, to set this. like I, I think I was, I quite liked the structure around the idea of serving food um, and making it something really special. Yeah. Tell, tell us about sort of the chefing side of things um, early on? Was it was there a venue sort of where, as you sort of got started that really sort of made a difference for you? Um, I mean, every single venue I've worked at has made a huge difference. But my first chefing gig was at a pop-up restaurant that Matt Stone and Joe Barrett were doing on Stanley Street called Stanley Street Merchants. And I just stuck. I'd never been a chef before. Me, my best friend Maddie and I went 
she was dragging me out. I think I'd gone through a bad breakup or something and I was a bit sad at the time. And I, I think she was like, come on, we're going out to dinner, this hot new place, a chef from Melbourne, like we're going to go have dinner. And we were sitting at the bar and they were, we got chat, I think I got chatting to Matt and he was like, yeah, we're kind of in the shit because we don't have any chefs, especially because I think they were an all-day venue and they were they're like especially breakfast chefs. They're like, do you know any chefs? And I was like, no, I don't know any chefs. And Maddie was like, well, Anna, you're a pretty good cook. Like, you don't have a job right now and you're kind of sad. So why don't you just, <laughs> why don't you give it a go? <laughs> um, and I did. And I, I, I think, yeah, I just kind of was like, sure, why not? Like, what's still going to happen? I'm going to come to this trial and they're going to be like, no, you're no good. And then I'll do something else. But I went and I, it was, I loved it. I got along really well with everyone and they were like, they were, it was pretty intense for a first job. They were like making, they were like grinding their own flour, milling their own flour and like baking all their bread. And Joe Barrett's just so amazing generally. And so, so is Matt. And it was just so great to work with people who are so passionate. And I was the breakfast chef there for a while. And then I think I ended up, because they were short staffed working lunch service and then dinner service sometimes. And yeah, I remember Joe when my first dinner service, she came up to me and I was like, I think I was on pastry and she like tucked a tea towel into my apron and shoved a shoved a palette knife in my back pocket and she was like, All right, it's gonna be fine. Like <laughs> and that night I think she was on the hot section and she absolutely killed it. And I was watching her, I was like, Oh my god, how can someone be doing so many things at the same time? I was just amazed. So I think, yeah, I was very enamored by work. I think I got very lucky by working for people who are so passionate from the beginning because it gave me an idea of what you could do. Yeah. Take us through some of the venues that you've worked at. I mean, to list them, they're pretty incredible and so influential, particularly in Sydney, Mamafuku and Fyador and Hubert. Um, what's, you know, what have you taken from each of those venues? Um, I mean, uh let me think. I think Fyodor I was when I was really first starting. I think it was my first full, it was that was my first full-time chefing job. And it was there I just learned how how a kitchen works, I guess, like the ins and outs kitchen. Fyodor was also very young at the time. I think they'd only been open like f- two or three months when I joined the team. So it was kind of seeing that like building of a restaurant, also obviously cooking over wood fire, though, but though I think at the time I didn't really understand how huge that was, like just having fire to cook on and having to like light a stove to boil water. It was kind of, cause it was my first real job. I was like, Oh, this is kind of normal. And I remember, I think it was when I first started at Hubert, I was like learning, seeing what a, a rationale, like combi high tech combi oven. I was like, what is this computer? Like, I felt like I'd come from the dark ages. Um, but, yeah, Fyodor, I was still, like, learning the the ropes. And then I think when I, like, after I'd been there six or seven months, I was like, all right, like, I need to really learn my foundations. And I think I worked at a couple of places casually in between there and Hubert, but I'd, I'd been following Dan Pepperell on Instagram and loved his food at Turn William Street. And so when he posted an Instagram ad for chefs at Hubert I emailed him straight away and um I got on the opening team there which was awesome and and I stayed there for a while and I did learn all the basics like you know on Lada there you're like you know you're making steak tartare for like 100 portions or whatever so you've got to brunoise all the echelots and chop all the chives beautifully and like learn how to like chop semi-frozen beef into tiny little squares you know and you kind of go from there it was very good I think that traditional French technique um, especially right then at the beginning was very strong and I got to work across like the – I stayed there for long enough that I ended up working through larder and pastry and the hot sections, which was good. Um, 
And then after that, that's when I went to Europe for a ho- for a big holiday. And I and after that, that's when I staged at um, Lyles and Relais and Noma. Yeah, which was which was also just from reaching out. I think, especially yeah, it was it was good. How different were those kitchens compared to what you had been used to in Australia? Um. Well, I mean, Noma is just like a completely different – in a completely different game. It's more like a – it's more like a big art experiment than a restaurant in a good way. I mean, you know, like it's a lot more about like conceptual ideas and, you know, as a chef there you're working on a small – on a a dish in a section in a restaurant. You know, you're very focused on like the the small scale and – which is amazing. But with Relay and um, Lyles, I think that was just like the idea of just this like unparalleled quality um, and not compromising on things even if you, even if it takes longer or if it's harder and especially like, you know, Relay, which is closed now, they were so focused on like organic produce and using like and being quite sustainable in their practices but also just like using the best quality things to create the best quality food and um, at Lyles, I think I was there during game season, so I got to see all the beautiful wild shot, wild shot birds that came through the doors, which was also incredible. But yeah, it's just a kind of different, different. Um, especially, I think maybe because there's less distance between where the produce is and the restaurants, you get this like very a much closer connection. Um, so, you know, you, you get your fish delivery at Lyles would arrive at like three o'clock in the afternoon. They basically still have rigor mortis. Like they'd be so fresh. Um, and sometimes I find it's really hard to develop those kind of really close relationships as well. I don't know, for me, it has been anyway, um, with some producers in it, with producers in Australia, because we go through these big markets, which is totally fair enough, but you know, it's just structured differently. You spent uh, a bit of time working with Paul Carmichael at uh, Mamafuku Siobo. Um, Paul Paul's a bit of an enigma. Do you have any stories of what it's like working with him? Um, well, I've, I loved working with Paul. We got along really well. I actually got in contact with him while I was still at Noma. I think someone who was working there was friends with him and I'd said that that's where I wanted to work at when I was back in Sydney and so he put me in contact and I chatted with him on the phone. Um I guess he is an enigma, but he's also just like he's he's full of he really he he really cares, and he's um he was he's even though I found Mufuku very hard sometimes because it was a lot of pressure and it was like so many like the sections that you're on were quite big, but it was just really it was just you felt like he knew you could do it, like even when you got when you were pushed, and I think that was a really that was really important for me is to just, just like even if something seems impossible, you can still you can still get it done and you can still do it well. And I, I love that, yeah. Oh, take us through some of these venues. Um, and do, was there any sort of pork dishes, you know, from your time for Fyodor and Hubert um, that sort of stand out? I on, I wish I could – my memory was good enough to remember the dishes. That I th- I'm not sure about Fyodor. I don't think we served any at um, like a, a large – only pork dishes at Hubert. But um, we did at Relay in – I mean, I don't know if you care about overseas, but at Relay in um, Copenhagen because I think the Danish pork has such a bad rap internationally, but they had um, their own pork farm, which was organic, like pasture-raised pork. Um, which was absolutely beautiful. Um, 
which they would use across. They had, they'd had a very great model actually where they had like their fancy restaurant LA and then across the road they had their more casual restaurant. I think it was called Manfred's maybe. And they had a large prep area out the back of Manfred's. So they'd buy, they'd have their whole animals sorted and bring them into the back of Manfred's and then the prime cuts would go to Relay and everything else would be used at Manfred's. So it was a very, it was using the whole animal in a really great way because you could have that fine dining side of it where you use those choice cuts but you're not leaving the rest of the pig to go to waste um that was very beautiful and at momofuku of course there was the classic like jerk spice pork chop which everyone loved on the bar oh my god it was so good it, it was amazing can you t- tell us about the process sort of to make that um dish yeah so we there was a dry oh, i'm oh, sorry i'm just trying to remember my to get back there. Yeah, so I think if I remember correctly, we had a dry ager and we'd get in racks of pork and then whoever was on meat section would I think they might have already been dry aged, but we had like I said they were in the dry age for a certain period of time and then we'd portion them to each chop and then we would cook them from raw on the um I think we used a flat top and then also the hibachi and at the last when after you've rested it you'd or you'd be brushing it with the jerk spice as it was cooking, um, which was beautiful because the jerk spices have the jerk spice had lots of it was quite sweet, and so you'd get that like caramelized, almost burnt toffee sugar flavor, which is absolutely amazing with um, pork fat. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. When you um, got the gig at the old Fitz as as head chef, um, it was a real opportunity for you to sort of um, put your own sort of flair on the plate. Um, tell us about that time and what it was like for you as, a, as with the sort of media attention and getting that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it was one of those things where I think I was offered the job just as we were coming out of big COVID times um, and I wasn't sure if I was ready to be a head chef because I hadn't been one before and it was like I'd also, you know, there'd been a bit of a break. Everyone had a bit of a break because of um, COVID. But um, I kind of decided to just go for it I mean as my boyfriend said to me at the time he was like you know either you can either do this job now and it'll be a really steep learning curve and it'll be pretty shitty but you know you'll be a head chef and you'll get there or you can go and work for someone else as like a senior sous chef or whatever and work your way up work for someone else and then do this in a few years like which one do you want and I think because I'd kind of started cooking a bit later than most people I would kind of I was like okay well let's just go for it and it was a great opportunity as well because it wasn't it was kind of a bit of a blank slate. Like it wasn't just a brand new restaurant opening, but it also wasn't just a restaurant as well. So you kind of had this like maybe a bit of a buffer, but also on the flip side of that, it was a pub and people expect certain things from pub food. And so, I mean, I was very lucky because the guys at Old Culture kind of gave me free reign. Um, obviously, you need to have a steak on the menu, which was totally fine with me because I love steak. But um, it was uh, it was pretty wild just going in there and just kind of figuring it out for myself um, how to do it. And I think the first four months were probably the hardest months of my life <laughs> just in terms of just feeling completely snowed under, like you just don't have a chance to even like – yeah, it was really difficult. Um, but, you know, after that, we, I got a good team together and we really, I think we did a really great job um, with it. We had a beautiful pork dish on the menu there as well for most of it. We, um, uh, it was pork chop. We got them from um, Emilio's. 
and it was beautiful and we'd score we'd score the fat and then kind of just let them dry out in the fridge for a day or two um and because it, we'd cook them a minute but because um you can do a little trick with pork crackling if you've got a deep fry or if you can manage to get the basket at the right depth you can um just put the fat and the skin in the fryer and leave the meat out so it doesn't cook and so you get so you get crackling quite quickly and then you can finish it off on um, in a pan or we did it on a flat top, um, which was great because we could do a pork chop with crackling from raw in like half an hour, which I thought was pretty cool. Less than that. There's a strange pork chop theme going on here. You talked about one from when you were young. Yeah, and, and, I and love pork of, chops. <laughs> what, 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 is it, what is it about that cut that you love? I love I love um I mean look I some even though there's like so many beautiful cuts that don't have bones in them I think there's something really nice same with like a bone in steak or something like that you have all these different um textures I guess like with a pork chop you've got crackling and then you have the fillet and there's quite a lot of fat on it but also you can like chew on the bone and there's like I think that's a really I like the I like that there's like different experiences from the one from the one cut yeah you can use your hands yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> Excuse to eat with your hands. You have a really fascinating approach to your career of really sort of going for it and immersing yourself in an experience to get the most out of it and then taking yourself away from, from that for a while and then finding the direction you want to go in. Tell us a little bit about that and, you know, how you operate. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always felt like I needed to be quite strategic Maybe now I'm older, I f- like I'm very glad that's how I approached it. But now looking back, I'm like I didn't. I saw it as kind of like a game that I needed to be able to like work my way through in terms of different levels. Like I was really, I really wanted to learn as much as I could as quickly as I could, so I could you know get to the places that get like you know do more things or experience more things, whatever. Um, but I guess I do like to. I guess you ha- you go through these really intense periods of work where you learn so much and then stepping back after that is really important just to kind of like mull it over and figure out the things that you have learned and how it's affected you because I think sometimes with chefing you can just jump from job to job to job and kind of never have a chance to give yourself a moment to like decompress or de-stress and also to kind of look back on what you've learned and who and and how that's going to carry with you into the future of what you're how you're going to work like how has it affected your style or you know your taste or whatever um I also really need I feel like during COVID I feel like a lot of chefs felt this that was like this I felt kind of like starved for inspiration in some ways because you kind of in one if you're just and I know that not everyone gets to travel and whatever, but I've also made it a big priority in my life. But, um, you know, sometimes when you're just in the same city and everyone's going to the same restaurants and eating the same dishes, it kind of becomes this like swirling swirl of influence that kind of everyone ends up not doing the same thing, but you just have the same points of reference as everyone else. So inevitably things kind of go in a particular direction. Um, and I, yeah, I think you can definitely see that over the years. But, um, yeah. You're a bit of a gun for hire at the moment. And I know you're helping helping out various friends at different venues. And and um, tell, us, tell us what that's like. What, what's the benefits of sort of what you're doing at the moment? 
Yeah, I mean, it's the first time I've ever really worked casually in my career and I guess it's been twofold. Like I got back from Europe at, almost at Christmas last year and I wasn't really willing to jump into a full-time job at Christmas time, like straight when I could have spent the Christmas with my family properly for the first time in many years. Um, and so I just kind of fell into casual work, which has been a, a bit of a breath of fresh air. Like it's not something I want to do forever because it's there's it's, there's pros and cons. Like it's great to – it's so – great to be able to work in different restaurants and work with different people and see how different people do it and see what supplies they use and see how they're like their different ways of setting up their kitchen even or just like working or their sections or and also technique of course um but and that's great but then also on the flip side you know you never have like your section where you can just you know you go to work every day and you can go home and kind of think about and be like, oh, yeah, this is how I'm going to like strategize for the next day. You kind of just walk in you're like, okay, like what do I do? Where do you keep this thing? You don't have that kind of like inbuilt like knee-jerk confidence in the space you're in. Um, so, yeah, that's good things and bad things. It's been very nice to be able to have a bit more time um, to spend with like some my family, I guess, which has been really nice. I think, you know, you do – eight years of pretty full-time work and then you kind of want to reconnect in a way. Um, but, yeah, I don't. it's not going to be forever. I'm, I'm definitely interested in to see what happens next. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about sort of your food and cooking style. You had the experience of being a head chef and you've worked with, with so many different people in so many different restaurants. But what, what's your favourite sort of approach or where are you at with your food? Um, that's a tough question to answer. I find myself very inspired by like whatever, by different, the, spe- the where you're cooking or the occasion for which you're, co- that you're cooking for. I think that's really important because, you know, like, for example, I'm cooking a lunch this weekend at the Bass Club just for like members and a few friends. And in that environment, it's very like casual. It's very relaxed. Um, it's very rustic. And so I'll be cooking things that are very like simple, share, but also like, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think, I think over the years, I think earlier I was quite obsessed with the idea of like making things really perfect and make all the idea of chasing that. Like obviously perfection doesn't really exist Um, so it's kind of, you're not never, you're never going to be happy if you're chasing that goal. But I think recently I've been thinking a lot about the idea of like being able to see processes in food. Like there's not, I don't think there's a problem with real, with understanding that someone has cooked the food that you're eating. So I think there's, there's room to kind of have a little bit of like, um, roughness to the edges, um, that, yeah, that you can kind of see that someone's been working on the thing that you are eating or, you know. Like just a bit, just having something really polished for the state for the sake of it, um, kind of takes away some of the the beauty. Maybe that's what I've been thinking about recently. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've um, you continue to have an amazing influence um, with everything that you do. What do you, what do you love about uh, your career in food? I mean, I think now having a little bit of time. Um, working casually and kind of not being super stressed at the moment. Sometimes I really get a flash to myself, like I'll be, you know, 
making a tart or melting some chocolate or even just like chopping some chives and I'll have a little flash and like, whoa, this is my job. Like I get to, I get to, (laughs) I get to make food. Like that's in itself abstractly a super cool, I like, it's really cool. It's, um, I think it's really lovely to be able to do a job where you're making stuff and you're constantly producing stuff to be, that's going to be seen and be consumed and appreciated. Um, and I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's so many jobs like that in the world, but for me, this is such, it's such a direct line of like the processes you do throughout the day or the week or whatever culminate in like someone enjoying that dish or that thing that you've worked so hard to prepare. And, and, you know, and especially when you design a menu, you can think, I often think like you put a dish up and you'll be like, fuck, that's so cool. Like that's so, or like, oh, like if I got that, I'd be so stoked. And then when you see someone comes in, they tell you like, oh my God, that was so cool. Like, I'd like, I'd love that. You're like, wow, that's, I'm so glad you, you can, you got that moment of communion with someone else because they get it. Like they, they, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty beautiful thing. Well, Anna, it's always a pleasure to catch up and it's been an honour to have you on The Crackling today to hear part of your story. Look forward to seeing um, what you're up to in the coming year or two, but um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstars. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.